listen carefully. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Can't find your radio? Maybe you're out of town and missing that Memphis feeling? WYXR can go with you wherever you travel with our mobile app for Android and Apple. Listen live or explore our archive and keep up to date with notifications. Download in your mobile app store by searching WYXR radio app or visit WYXR.org for more information. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis from WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. I'm the Memphis Metropolis host. And this week, as always, I've got a very special guest. Um, my guest is Mary Helen Butler, who's the assistant director of the Memphis Botanic Garden. And I invited Mary Helen to come on because the Botanic Garden is celebrating its 70th anniversary. And so when I when I read that, I actually read, read an article about it in Storyboard. And when I read about that, I thought, huh, I bet there's some interesting history there. And I know I, everyone knows that I love to talk about history of places. So anyway, welcome Mary Helen to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So before we were, before we started recording, you were telling me what was out your window. So tell me about that. When you look at your window. Well, let me preface it because everybody's yards, I think right now, still have a lot of brown from that winter, from that December freeze we had. And things are, we're still trying to see what's going to make it and what didn't. But the good news is the um, the bulbs have come up. So right now I have orange and yellow tulips and purple grape hyacinths that I'm looking at. And they're covering the entry bed as you go into the botanic garden. So um, at least there's a little glimpse of spring coming up. Yeah, that's amazing. I've got a, a ton of daffodils, and which I guess other people do too. But that's yeah. it. That's really all I've been I've been seeing so far. Yeah, it can, spring can't get here soon enough. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that, but we were, I was just reading an article maybe in the New York times about the, about, you know, just the, like the weather, the swings in weather type and sort of the, in the impacts on people. And I definitely feel that way. I'm not, I hate winter. February is my least favorite month, mm-hmm. but having said all of that, February is supposed to be cold. And then you get the spring and you're right. excited. And it's not supposed yep. to be, you know, pushing 80 in February. As, as someone who doesn't like February, that feels weird to me. I'm not, I can see why people, um, how it affects people's psyches. Yeah, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> so, um, okay. So the, so the Botanic Garden is 70 years old. And so before we, um, I'm just trying to think, because I do want to talk about the, I do want to talk about the the programs and the and all the all the different cool things you do with the garden. But maybe we'll um, start. Maybe we'll start with the the history. Yeah, um, I think it's such a great story. You know, because if you visit botanic gardens across the country, a lot of them started as 
you know, some beautiful estate with lovely manicured lawns that was then deeded to a foundation or a, a city to maintain. Um, but ours, we date our um, our day, our history date back to 1953 when a, grew, a woman in town grew irises. Um, her name was Mrs. Ketchum, and she passed away and put in her will, um, giving her collection of 2,500 iris rhizomes um, to the city and wanted them to be put in a place where people could enjoy them. So a group of her friends went down to City Hall and they said, well, we've got this park out in the county now because back then the city limits were at Goodlet. And so this Audubon Park um, they, the city wanted to purchase something that was out in the county um, as the population was growing this way. And so they said, well, we've got to pick a spot there. So that same group, they said, you've got to maintain them. So you've got to form a society to start it. And they picked a spot and it's still there right where they were initially planted in 1953. That's amazing. But Marianne, let's go back a little farther because um before it was a park, right. it, so it was somebody lived there, it was really out in the country. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. From what I understand, there was a house that faced on Park Avenue um, and there was an old and you can even on part of the property see kind of like an old red road bed that goes through the oaks, like right where people are sitting for the live at the garden concerts. There's a huge stand of old oaks. And if you look at them, you can kind of tell where there might have been like a little farm road through that. Um, I even have one of our older members was telling me that her husband as a child would um, ride his horses around out here on Daffodil Hill, which is um, in the back part of our garden. And that there was even a pig uh, where they kept the pigs was kind of near the Japanese garden in the, um, the lower part where the, the stream comes into the lake. So it was, it was originally someone's home, I guess, probably an estate. Yeah, it was the Herd Estate, H-E-A-R-D, the Herd Estate. And um, it was before that, it was originally given to um, General Bunton for his um, service. And so then the city of Memphis purchased, um, I, I don't know if, if the herds were part of that estate or if it, if it changed hands any between them. But um, yeah, it was purchased as a farm. So, um, so 1953 was the year and the city, apparently the city decided that they needed a park. Mm -hmm. um, they needed a sort of, a, you know, a, a prestige major park in addition to Overton Park. Is that right. right? That's what I understand. Yes. And so when the Irish Society planted that the Iris Garden. Then the next year, the Rose Society had a municipal rose garden in Overton Park, and they moved it from there to here. Um, and then the following year, the Men's Garden Club of Memphis, if you can believe there was such a thing, um, planted the, the Arboretum. And so it really just came to be these people that loved plants and wanted to share them with the public um, kind of dotted this collection of gardens around. So just backing up for a second, I was wondering, I meant to ask you about this at the top of the show. So when I, um, I love botanic gardens and when I travel around, I frequently visit them if the weather is nice. So what is, is that an official designation that um, parks and gardens have to get to call yourself a botanic garden? I don't know. There's there's definitely an, a, like a national organization, APGA. And so that's, you know, gardens are a member of that. But I don't know that there's any requirement necessarily of, of, of joining that. So I think there are some very small um, gardens that are botanic gardens, for example, on college campuses. Some of them have garden collections. 
Um, so, and there, there are different types of botanic gardens. Some are very collections based where it's all about getting one of everything and having, um, you know, that be your purpose to kind of preserve and maintain those varieties. And then some are mainly display gardens um, where it's really, you're just going and, and really interested in the visitor experience more. Um, and then there's even a newer class. Um, I've heard some describe themselves as pleasure gardens where it's really all about, um, you know, the sculpture and the beauty of it. So I've, I like to think that we're a little bit of all of those. Well, I was going to ask you which category you thought that your your botanic garden fell yeah. into. I think we're definitely moving more towards kind of the visitor experience garden, um, you know, because we're trying to attract everybody and not just the horticulturists who um, want to come here for the plants. And that's what I think for many years, you know, it was about since plant societies helped form this. Um, then in the mid 60s, um, Actually, there were so many of these plant societies that they really needed a place where they could meet and have a library and host shows. And that's where the Goldsmith family came into it in um, building the Goldsmith Civic Garden Center, which is the building where we are, um, where our offices and rooms are held. So originally, um, the garden was officially part of Audubon Park, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. And at what point did it um, did it spin off and become its own? Yeah. Entity. And I said it's a kind of like a conservancy in the sense, probably yeah. you spun off to create your own arm to do fundraising yeah. and management. It was the late 80s. So they did a fence and started um, created a membership so that you they started charging mission and you um, developed the memberships as a way to support the garden and the Memphis Botanic Garden Foundation. Um, runs this. So the city of Memphis owns the garden and still does today, but we're operated by the Memphis Botanic Garden Foundation. So most of the employees are not city employees, they're foundation employees. So what are some of the, um, what are some of the, the different elements that have been added over the years, different kinds of gardens, but also the buildings that have been added over yeah. the years? So, um, so it's very interesting. It's Right now, we've, we're up to 30 different display gardens. A lot of people don't realize that, especially if you just come here for a wedding or, like we said, a concert and don't really explore. But we have 96 acres, which is really kind of rare for a botanic garden, a public, an urban garden to have that much space. The average kind of size of an urban garden is around 30 acres. So if you think about it, we're about three times that size. So we're really wow. lucky to have so much green space right here in the middle of the city. Now, not all of it is is, um, developed. We have some area kind of in the back that we use for summer camps and do all kinds of things, let the kids just really be out in the natural areas. Um, And then we've got a four acre woodland in the middle that has part of it's developed. But for the most part, the formal gardens are closer to the building off of Cherry Road. so you asked about the building. So I mentioned that in the um, mid-60s, the Goldsmith family did the Goldsmith Civic Garden Center. And part of that um, building included a conservatory. So I don't know if you remember that or some of your listeners may remember coming here. Um, when I first started working here in the early 90s, um, that was a tropical plant conservatory where our visitor center is now. And it was actually designed by the same architect who did the Memphis Airport and the Brooks. If you look at it, you'll see very similar um, architectural structure style to it. Is that um, Roy, Roy Hargrove? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so um, then about the mid 90s, we were growing and we needed to, like botanic gardens across the country, find a way 
to be a little more self-sustaining. You can't really run a garden this size on what people pay for just coming to come in for daily admissions. And so we were um, looking at the alternative sources of revenue and um, doing weddings and meetings and events really is how most of the botanic gardens across the country help to support themselves. And so we wanted to build on Hardin Hall. And then we also needed a nice visitor center. So um, we were advised to take the conservatory and it wasn't in the greatest shape at that point anyway. And um, with those beautiful glass windows and it's just very dramatic and just turn that into our visitor center and then hopefully later build a, a conservatory, which we're actually starting on a small glass house now that's going to kind of replace what that was. Where is that going to be? So that is going to be right along Cherry Road um, that you'll be able to see as you're driving past. And it's going to be um, just west of our Rose Garden. So um, we're getting some lights in it so that, you know, we'll be able to light it seasonally. So, you know, maybe for um, October, we might have it lit pink. So I think it's going to be a really cool addition during the day for visitors to go in and see the tropical plants. But then at night, as kind of an addition to the landscape. Definitely. So you'll be able to see it from the street, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. So what are the, in terms of the gardens, mm -hmm. um, what are some things that, that are, you know, particularly special? Kind of what that, we're known for? Yeah, was that, like you yeah. talk about botanic gardens around the country. Mm -hmm. Like what is Memphis? Um, I think a lot of botanic gardens is, I mean, there's some similarities, but yeah. there's also some things that are the same. Well, I think it's kind of cool. We mentioned our iris garden as being our first garden, and that's pretty neat because the iris is our state flower. So that's special to me. Um, the irises only really look good for a few weeks there in the spring. So right now we're, we're working on planting some other things to make it more of a year-round garden with seasonal displays where irises are still the star of the show, but they're there. The Japanese garden has really been the one, you know, all through the 80s and um, until we built our children's garden, that was really what we were known for. People would come here and so many weddings on the Red Bridge. People remember coming as a child and feeding the koi fish in the pond. Um, so that really kind of was our signature garden. Then um, and, uh, we decided we had on the books to try to do a children's garden for many years and just the timing wasn't right. And so Finally, we were able to do that, and now we've had it for about 13 years. It's called My Big Backyard. Um, I'm not sure if you've been there before. It's a two-and-a-half-acre two two and family play garden. So um, children's gardens are kind of a mix of it's a garden, first and foremost, but also with play elements, playhouses, things you crawl through, and tunnels, and um areas where you can build mud pies and dig in the dirt. So it's really just kind of about putting down your electronics and being exposed to the natural world. And so that really helped to change our demographic of visitors. And so we've started becoming known for that as well. Um, I'm very, it's very well known. I have never been to, I've been to the Botanic Garden, of course, many times. I haven't been to the, well, you'll my come visit and I'll take you, we'll go through. I will definitely. I'll just pretend to have children. Yeah. <laughs> it's, or, or, or act like a child. That's more likely. Right. It's very whimsically planted. And we worked with 30 local artists. So they're the coolest little art installations all throughout. So um, yeah, kids are not required to come and enjoy and appreciate that garden. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. 
and I'm talking to Mary Helen Butler, who's assistant director of the Memphis Botanic Garden. And the Botanic Garden is celebrating its 70th anniversary. So we're talking about all the different elements and the history. So let's, but let's talk about the Arboretum because that was one of the first pieces, I think. And I think it's still a very big deal. In fact, just the other night I met a volunteer for the art from for the Arboretum who just went on about how great you were. So uh, <laughs> So um, tell me, tell me about the Arboretum. Yeah, well, so we're proud of our Arboretum. And technically, our whole 96-acre garden is classified as a level four Arboretum with the state of Tennessee. That's actually the highest level Arboretum that's recognized. And just tell people what that is in case they don't know. So it's basically our tree collection. And so the levels depend on how many tree species you have. So a level one would have 30, level two has 60. We've got 120 different tree species, which is a lot. I mean, you know, the most person, you know, from your childhood class leaf collecting days, you can name about 20 trees. But so to come out here and see a list of, of you know, over 120 is pretty special to have that many. Um, but we have one corner of our garden, which we was our original arboretum. That's what we call our arboretum when we're doing our leaf collecting classes and tree programs. Um, and that's the area we're developing now. Right now, there are no pathways in it. And so I think as a visual cue, you know, when you're a visitor, you just, we're not trained to want to get off the path and, and to go explore. And so people have been missing out on seeing some of these beautiful trees out there. So um, that's the first thing we wanted to do is do a nice um, paved path through there so that wheelchairs, moms pushing strollers, and just the general public would be drawn into the space. Um, and then we have worked with a, a firm um, called Fido Design Studios, who's really becoming nationally known as an ecological landscaping firm. So really planting for the future. And this is the way that people are starting to plant now. You see it with the New York High Line and um, Lurie Gardens in Chicago and some of the other places. But you're thinking about plants that are suited for the environment and you don't have to, you know, using a lot of natives, plants that attract pollinators, um, plants that can be used to replace existing lawns so that you don't have to use as many chemicals and water. Um, so I was going to ask about that if there was, you know, a portion of the garden, a section that was native plants or mm -hmm. if that was an emphasis, because obviously some of the things that people want to see in a garden that brings people the tulips yeah. and, you know, yeah. all the postcards and the Instagram, those are right. not necessarily native. So how do you how do you emphasize that and how do you yeah, find that it's balance? Interesting because, you know, um, a lot of people just love native plants and they're going to plant them and are excited about it. But, you know, you're trying to get more people to do it. And so when people think of native plants, they think of just, you know, going through the woods and it looking kind of messy and not looking like a form, you know, like you'd want your backyard to look. And so with our four acre woodland, we do let it kind of grow wild and there are native trillium and, um, Jack in the pulpit and all kind of wildflowers growing and um, it does look very natural. But we've carved out one section and we um, opened this last October where we use native plants, but in a more curated style. So these are good plants for using in your home garden. Um, and so just with the right planning, these are some of the plants you can use and, and look just like any other kind of use them as your foundation plantings and other plantings around. Um, but they're native, so they're going to attract the pollinators, they're going to conserve water. They're just going to be better suited for, for what we're doing here. 
And is that what you're working on this design firm on? That, yeah, no, that that was actually a local design firm that helped us with that. And we opened that as a section. But we said, you know, let's not stop here. We really need to, you know, native plants are what we need to be teaching people about. So we have our pollinator garden, which is down in another section that features a lot of native plants. Um, and then this new third garden, um, the arboretum, will have these pocket meadows. And one is themed for... Um, for monarch butterflies. One is themed for gold finches, so it'll be about um, attracting birds to your yard and the plants that birds need. Um, one will be um, really showcasing just kind of ecological design in general. And then one's gonna have some of our native sedges and grasses. That sounds great. Yeah. Especially the, the pocket meadows. That yeah. sounds really neat. Yeah, and they'll each have interpretive signage too, so that if you're really interested, you can you could stand there and kind of read a little about what you're seeing. And we're hoping people will start to replicate things in their own home landscape. So, um, so tell me a little bit about the different programs you have. You mentioned that that it's gone from at one time it was very focused on you know educating people about plants in the garden club and stuff and i'm sure you still do that but it's broad and some so talk about the programming that you have right. sort well, of we're, we're definitely proud of our um student programming um when i started here we started taking um annual attendance of how many school students or children we served and it was about 230 the first year and with the, the post-pandemic years, we're still growing up, but a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, we were serving over 40,000 students a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was coming here on field trips or us going to the classrooms or um, doing family events here that had, you know, environmental education focus. So um, it is a lot. We are slowly growing back. I think we had over 10,000 the first semester of this year, the fall semester, and now we've got lots more scheduled to be coming this spring. So it's really great to have the, the field trips come out here and the kids just be immersed in this green space and learning about plants. Um, so we have that. And then we have um, a healthy adult education programming. A lot of it focuses on art. We're finding that a lot of people um, are looking for creative outlets. And so we have, um, you know, painting classes where we encourage them to go out and paint plein air outdoors. And then also, you know, jewelry making classes or ceramics that deal with kind of the natural theme. We try to tie everything into botanical um, kind of inspiration. But so the art classes and then, um, you know, we had yesterday here a flower design program and we have um, some landscape classes here and there. I got think a I took a class on herbs one time. Oh yeah, yeah, herbs are great too. And there are still the plant societies, like the herb society is meeting actually tonight. Um, they have a really robust group who um, come and help tend our herb garden and do programs and have speakers. So, so the um, you, you know, you obviously you've done a really good job at at you know, broadly reaching into the community. And we maybe touch on this indirectly, but I think of, you know, botanic gardens like art museums as something that at one time sort of, you yeah. know, catered to only part of the population. Right. And maybe they weren't segregated, but it literally, but de facto they were. And there's, you know, of course, cultural institutions now are just making, yeah. have pivoted. Well, maybe not pivoted, just broadened their focus. Right. Obviously, you've done a lot. 
we put a lot of thought into that because it's like, yeah, the plant people are going to find us. They're going to come. So we're trying to figure out the people who don't know yet that they are plant people. And so when we design gardens, for example, uh, a few years ago, we redesigned our um, sculpture garden and it had very little tiny narrow walkways. And we um, took out some areas and made more of a patio so that we could have wine tastings out there or you know, other kind of receptions and bring, draw people into the garden. Um, we started doing these exhibits, these national traveling exhibits. I don't know if you made it out to see the Alice, Alice's Adventures in the Garden exhibit last I year, did not. but it was really successful. It's some giant topiary pieces um, that it was just another reason to come see. And it drew in a different demographic than people maybe who would just think to come visit a botanic garden. So we do have our permanent collection of art. There's art in just about every garden out there in our 30 gardens. And so if someone is just interested in art, they could spend a good two hours walking around and just seeing our permanent collection. But these traveling exhibits give people another reason to come and it just draws on, on another demographic and gives us programming um, kind of inspiration. So we did a lot of Alice in Wonderland tea parties last year. We did curious cocktail events where the cocktails were themed with it. So um, that has, that's been something we've really found is, is working to kind of grow our audience. This year, we've got one that will run May through September, um, and it's called Rich Soil. It's by an artist out of San Francisco who does wire sculptures. So they're smaller than the Alice, but there are more of them. There'll be 30 placed in seven collections throughout the garden that people come can come and visit. Rich soil. Okay. Yes. That sounds good. And how do you, like just from, from a marketing perspective, how do you, and maybe you've talked about some good examples, make people think like the botanic garden is something for me. Oh, right. <laughs> it's not, that's, you know, it's, and it's because I think that, I mean, a botanic garden, of course, it's just, all you right. have to do is go and walk around. It's beautiful. Well, yeah. And who doesn't like pretty? I mean, right. you know. <laughs> exactly. That's a pretty easy sell to go through. But I mean, I think, too, it's just important for us to have this. Like I said, we're right in the very geographic center of the city. And so it's very accessible for somebody to come. And sometimes you just need a nature break. I mean, I see people here walking in the middle, like come and sit and having their sack lunch on a bench and just being immersed around the flowers and see people after work come and not only for exercise, but just as a kind of way to unwind and, um, you know, kind of relax a little bit. So I think that that's another kind of area we can focus on that the gardens are good for your soul in that respect. Well, no question. I mean, all of the, like you said, the, the, you know, the health aspects, the health benefits, the mental health benefits from being outside and just, the fresh air and the and the beauty. I love that when you said that. Who doesn't like beautiful? <laughs> exactly and right. Another group are the dog lovers. So we don't allow dogs during the day, but we've discovered that people want to be out and walking and enjoying a space with their dog. And so we've started doing on Thursday evenings during the summer. I think it's like May through October, staying open till eight o'clock. And so there's a time where people can come and it's dog friendly. We have a bar so you can get a glass of wine and walk around with your dog. Um, sometimes we have food trucks. So, again, it's like servicing the community, another another user group to come out and just enjoy the space. I love that. So the um, so what are you doing to celebrate your 70th birthday? That's a biggie. 
Yeah, so we're we're really just kind of highlighting some different gardens. And so we're going to have a couple of different um, special days where we'll have, you know, activities out there that people can drop in and learn more about. One's going to be highlighting the Iris Garden, another My Big Backyard. Um, so 70th, we'll probably save our real big fancy parties to the 75th. In a few more well, years. I guess I guess that's true. I didn't yeah. think of that. That is a big year, we're really just, You know, it's about awareness and, you know, that we've been serving this community 70 years. And we have, um, you know, some kids, some people who are here and took our classes when they were young and are now school teachers bringing their students back. And we hear from families all the time that, you know, talk about they're bringing their children to my big backyard and they remember coming here with their parents as a child feeding the fish. So to be here 70 years, we've kind of seen a lot of Memphis families growing up. Well, and it's it's a um, being in the middle of the it's funny because it's really in the center of the city, but it's not um, the it doesn't seem urban, I think, because it's next to the park. And you're sort of, you've got the golf course there. So even when you're driving down the street to get to the Botanic Garden, yeah, it's very green on well, both yeah, sides. Memphis is lucky in that respect anyway, just to have so many beautiful old trees in our canopy, urban canopy. So yeah, you feel like you're already somewhere. And there's okay. so many improvements going all around too. They're working on areas of Audubon Park. So it's only getting better. Well, that's true. The tennis, isn't, isn't the tennis, set? well, I guess the tennis service is not at Audubon Park. It's in the there. Tennis, oh, it is. Okay. Okay. I so to mention, I think you were interested in structures and I don't know if you know, or your, your audience knows that in addition to our main building here, we have um, another building that's in in our wooded area. We were talking about that new um, curated area. It has a whole glass wall. It's called Sarah's Place that looks out into the woods. And so it's a great place to come and have meetings. And then we also have some interesting structures throughout. We have a chicken coop that I think is probably the prettiest chicken coop I've ever wow. seen. It's in, our urban, it's in our urban home garden. And one of our volunteers actually designed it and helped build it. And it's just amazing. It's really cool. We also have something we call the Delta House. So down at our Delta Garden, which is a garden that features um, plants like, you know, um, cotton and sorghum and okra, things that are kind of indicative of the of the Delta. Um, we have this house that came from Arkansas and, and one of our garden club members um, actually saw it in somebody's back of their property and um, asked them and actually purchased it and had it moved over here. So it's got an old porch with a rocker on it and those old crank windows that you can open up with the panes. And so it's pretty neat to spot to go and just kind of be immersed in. And then we've got something called the Blecken Pavilion and it was um, designed, it's kind of reminiscent of the um, Pavilion and Garvin Gardens. You might've seen that before the designed by Faith. I haven't seen any of those. I think yeah, well see you gotta come on a golf cart and I will take you around and show I you. I need to because you know um I now that I'm thinking about it I wouldn't say the last several years when I've gone to the botanic garden it's for an event. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's an yeah. event so I'm going back and forth but I yeah. haven't spent any time. And we, re we recognize that too and so we're thinking about it as we develop gardens for example there's a garden right in the middle of our building it was a water garden, but you couldn't really get out there. The door was always locked. It was kind of unsafe. It wasn't, you weren't invited to go out. So we just renovated that. 
and created a patio space. And I just walked by a while ago and saw a mother and her child sitting at one of the little tables having their lunch. So we're really trying to think about even if people are here for a short time for a meeting, like what space can they go out and just be exposed a little bit and, and be in a beautiful spot while they're here? I think that's very smart. Yeah, I've got to go over there and see some of these things because obviously it's been way too long since <laughs> I've left the building. So, so okay. Well, what? So, what do you want people to know that I haven't? Well, first of all, just give me give us the website address okay. if people yeah. wanna. Yeah, it's it's Memphis. M e m b g dot org. So memmbg dot org. It's kind of. Or to say, um, but yeah, that's our website, and you know, the garden memberships are it's a hundred dollars for a family membership, and so it's really good value for people, like you said, because you don't have to make a day trip out of going to it, you can stop by after school and just kind of run off some steam, or you can, you know, like if you work, come here, like I said, after work and enjoy it. Um, and you've paid for your membership after a few visits and you get discounts on all our programs and it helps support, you know, those 40,000 school children. I said, we serve, you know, we, we charge a fee for them to come, but the fee covers really only half of the expense of what it costs our education department to run. So the other half of that kind of helps um, the memberships help support that. And the donation. Yeah. I've, it's been a long time since I'm a member, but I'm going to rectify that. So that's, and that seems very reasonable to me for for everything you get. Yeah, yeah. And this, like I said, this is owned by the city of Memphis. This is your botanic garden. It belongs to, to all of us. And so we hope that people are come out and use it and appreciate it. Okay. All right. Well, happy, happy anniversary, Memphis Botanic <laughs> Garden. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And I've been talking to Mary Helen Butler, who's the assistant director of Memphis Botanic Garden, which, as I said, is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year. And so thank you so much for coming on the show, Mary Helen. Thank you. Hey, I'm Will from Crosstown Brewing Company. We support WYXR 91.7 FM. A favorite beer is just like a favorite song. We feel something new every time we encounter them. Cheers to playing the hits and tasting the notes. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.